Hi, this is Mario Andretti. Mark Blundell. Mark Priestley. Claire Cottingham. Ben Edwards. Jamie Chadwick. Mark Gallagher. Freddie Hunt. Bobby Eaton. Craig Scarborough. Alex Brundle. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1 podcast. Driven. Driven. Driven, driven by fans. For fans. Hello there and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. My name is Sean and joining me tonight to talk about the upcoming Italian Grand Prix, which full name I am not ready to give just yet, is Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. We've also got Rowan. How's it going? I'm all right, thank you. That rhymed by accident, I'm sorry. (laughs) And Manon, how's things? Hi, all good, thank you. Good stuff, good stuff. So I suppose I have to give the name. It's gotten longer this year. It's the Formula One Qatar Airlines Grand Premio del Maiden Italy del Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, which really means Imola. <laughs> it's Imola weekend, weekend this week at long last. And we are going to do a quick preview of that and go through all of the news of the week during our sad week off from Formula One. But before we get into that, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can check us out on all socials at JoinEF1. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, TikTok. You can also check out our website, everythingf1.com. And we are also sponsored by theraceworks.com. And if you want 10% off their incredible Formula One related merch, go onto their website, theraceworks.com, and enter code EF1 at checkout, and you will get 10% off all of your purchases. Now, then, the I'm not going to name it again Grand Prix is taking place at the Autodromo. Enzo E. Dino Ferrari. Why can't it just be Imola? Why can't it just be Imola? It's never just been Imola. It was San Marino back in the day, even though San Marino's on the other side of the country. Anyway, the track is 4.909 kilometers long. It'd be a 309 kilometer race of 63 laps. And the first Grand Prix was all the way back in 1980. Do you remember that? Because I don't, because not even I'm that old. Sorry, Taylor. I wasn't born. And I suppose we'll jump straight into it because obviously we didn't have a race just this weekend gone. So let's throw back to last year. Who remembers last year's race? Sophia, I'm going to put you under the microscope on this one. What do you remember of the stupidly named Imola Grand Prix last year? I remember it was wet to dry. It was also the sprint weekend, the first sprint weekend as well for the new format. Yeah, Ferrari had a DNF. I think it was called a science at the DNF. And um, pulling up the notes now, it, is, it was a rebel one too as well. That That's it. I can remember all the other details. I mean, yeah, there's also another DNF, Alonso, I believe as well, um, right. looking at the notes. <laughs> yeah, it was also Lando Norris on the podium. Oh, God. Yeah, that's how long ago that was, <laughs> unfortunately. Daniel Ricciardo was all the way up in... Oh, sorry, this is... I'm looking at qualifying. Daniel Ricardo. Ooh, last. Never mind. Yeah, last. <laughs> sorry. Qualified six for the sprint. <laughs> we had Jordan. He, he made contact with Carlos. He did, it? yes. Good memory. Well done. I kind of wiped this one from my memory entirely. I, I lived in the onboard, so I saw it. Ah, I'm a little bit jealous. I, I've never been able to get it set up because I'm always watching on a stream. So whenever I watch the onboards, um, it's always too far ahead or too far behind. I can never sync it up properly, which is really annoying. Fair enough. Rowan, what are your memories of the Imola Grand Prix last year? I mean, Lando was kind of handed the podium after Leclerc's mistake, you know, pushing too hard and had that little whoopsie into the barrier. Yeah. Surprisingly, didn't DNF it, though. I think he came P6, 7. Uh, it was a it was a teller six. for what was to come really in the rest of the season. Yes, I think you're right. Six. Yep. 
Yeah, it was a, it was also kind of a, a foreshadowing of what's to come this year because, as Sophia, I think you pointed out just before we hopped on, it was the first Max and Sergio one-two for Red Bull, was it not? Yeah, I think Marion said said it before we went live and everything. But I mean, it's going to happen again. It, it's kind of but we get a race, I should say as well, if it's not delayed. It's, it's one of those. Sorry, it's one of those things. I don't know if you remember. It was a really nice image where Max and Checo arrived on the podium together, like the arms down, like they didn't do first, second, third. They came in together because they were mm. so excited about that one too. And I think this is something that aged badly as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because Monaco was only a couple of weeks later, and apparently everything went to hell for them then. Yeah, the the, the interesting again changes from last year. Obviously, Norris on the podium last year. I think the chances of that happening this year are unfortunately slim. And I have not worn my Lando on the podium in Imola t-shirt today because I can't face it. We also had, as as you mentioned, Science DNF, and so did Alonso. Now. My prediction for this weekend, we get on to wild predictions, will be that Alonso probably won't DNF this weekend. <laughs> what, what do you think? What are you expecting this weekend from? I know we're going to expect from, from Red Bull, but let's kind of just ignore them because I get a bit bored talking about dominance. Mano, what are you thinking for, for Aston this year? First kind of proper Formula One track to my to my eye of the season. Yeah, no, same. Like I got bored of street circuits. Like I like them, but why put so many circuits together mm. so early on? Let us go like, you know, proper racing. I'm not saying it's not proper racing. You know what I mean? I think it's, I'm looking forward to it because it, it feels like a bit fresher. It will be nice not to have walls everywhere. Mm. And, and I mean, you know, I, I think the weather is awful and we can talk about it later, but if we get a slightly wet race, it could make it a bit interesting as well because we haven't had any wet conditions over this year. So mm. just saying maybe Red Bull will be horrible on wet tires. Maybe that's when Arpin are going to break through. Or maybe this is what Ferrari has been waiting for this whole time. So I'm sort of looking forward to a breath of fresh air, like something new. Just give us anything. Absolutely. Point. I mean, the, the the wet race we got a couple of years ago saw Williams nearly overtake a Mercedes. <laughs> we remember that George Russell probably wishes we wouldn't though R- Rowan what do you make of these I suppose we, we say like a, the classic Formula 1 tracks like we said we've had what seems like a million street circuits or kind of tilkadromes for want of a more used term but you know got grass at every corner there's absolutely zero room for error if you get it wrong you're in the grass you're in the gravel you're in the barrier it's a proper old school track what do you make of these kind of old school tracks it feels like we're only just getting started. You know, I think with Bahrain, you have so much testing that the, the results can be a bit spewed. Australia, for many, UK folk, you don't watch many of the sessions. Hmm. And then you've got street track after street track and street track. It does feel like we're only just getting started. And after such a big break, it is a welcome sight to see some cars on a classic track fighting each other, especially with a little bit of wet running. Yeah, and we get a we get a kind of a run of, of classic tracks now. Monaco, we could, you know, that it's a classic track, but it is a street track. Then obviously we've got Spain, Canada, street track, but not technically because it's got lots of grass. Austria, Britain, Hungary, Belgium. I mean, we're into to the European season now, which as you know, on this part of the pond, we like the European season, don't we? <laughs> Other talk points, I think we'll move straight onto it because it's already the 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 big talk of this week is the weather. People were ordered to leave the track today because it was so bad. Sophia, can you enlighten us a little bit more about exactly what happened or what, what, what the news was around Imola today? Yeah, so pretty much this whole week, they have red weather warning. So like how in the UK, the red issues to kind of shelter in place, stay in place because of how bad the rain is. And 
yeah, so they were asked to leave the paddock for safety due to flooding throughout the track. And it's meant to continue like this this whole weekend coming. I think it said like 90% chance of rain on the Sunday and even the Saturday as well, which is interesting given the fact that we're meant to be testing the new wet tires this weekend with the new qualifying format as well for another new tire tryout. But yeah, it's 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 really bad. Like I've seen some of these photos and how flooded. Like you can see how much of a like a gap within like a couple hours some of the rain is. And then obviously, given the rivers right nearby the track as well, it's definitely one to worry about caution wise. I'm hoping it eases off, but it also can't drain very well. This track we've seen it go kind of dry quite quickly due to like humidity and everything. But it's still if it's flooded, it's going to take even longer than it is like a basic rain shower, which is what we had last year. But mm. we'll see. I'm I'm fingers crossed and still goes. It's also a big one because you got F two and F three on also this weekend, so it's going to be a lot of delays. I, I'm a hundred percent certain on that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's going to be a very disruptive weekend, and as we know. Formula One is the priority. The Formula One race is the priority to to the detriment of F2, F3, Porsche Super Cup if it's on, which obviously is kind of the way to do it. Formula One makes the money. But I was just looking up here and by all means, people in the comments, correct me if I'm wrong, but the source seems pretty reliable. The last time a Formula One race was cancelled outright due to rain was the 1991 Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide. So it's been 32 years that's a long time because Spa 2021 happened and technically Japan. and so did Japan. <laughs> the last time I remember before Spa, a race being kind of cancelled midway through because of a red flag was Malaysia years and years and years ago when Jensen Button won at 75%, which is 2009. That's a long time ago as well. So it is not very often. In fact, it's essentially never that we get rain affecting Formula One this badly. Rowan, what will they do if it's just not, if, if it's too wet? I think nobody wants a repeat of Spa or Japan, really. I mean, Japan was was good because we got the show in the end, but it it, it didn't feel long enough to really be anything. And I don't really like the, the time limit because I think after we'd had the red flag in Japan, it was free to race. And I think if we have a similar situation here where you know, it's red flag for a long time and that timer starts and we only get, you know, 10, 20, even maybe shorter than that or anything race, I just... You, you think to quit your losses, mm. pack up and, and move on, especially with F2 and F3, because that could really impact the championship if, you know, races are short and are not run at all. How does that work out in the, the grand scheme of things? Because there's, there's so much happening that you, you can't rely on that weather forecast. It will change. doesn't matter what it's showing you. You've got to look up and see what's coming. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Mano, who do you think... Obviously, everyone wants to go racing. They're all racers. But putting our tinfoil hats on for a second, who do you think would benefit the most from a race being cancelled and there being just no points offered this weekend and no expenses on crashes? Oh, you mean team-wise? I, yeah. Good I question, think, I know. but I don't think anyone would in the sense that, like we said, it's the first non-street track in ages. I'm sure they're all looking forward to it, like dying to see how they're doing on those tracks. So I... Like, you know, maybe McLaren would benefit from not racing ever again at this point, but it has nothing to do with Imola. It's just because they're having a clown year. But, you know... Oof, tell I us just, how you really feel. Sorry. But, no, I feel like... And that's what worries me a bit. It's like, I think F1 has proven time and time again that money is king, that cash is king. And so I don't want them to jeopardize the safety of the audience, the safety of the public, the safety of the drivers, just for the show to go on. And especially when there's 
I, I always felt like when there's sort of a dangerous situation, like F2 and F3 are always sort of the guinea pigs. Mm. Like it felt like this in, a, in Jeddah the first year where everyone was saying, this track doesn't seem safe. And F2 were the first one to have those big crashes that, you know, well, you know, send drivers to the hospital. And so there was sort of like, because they drive first, it's like, oh, let's see how they get on. And then the big show can happen. So it's, yeah, there's a lot happening. There's not a lot of room for delays. I think last year after Japan, I think it was Daniel that said he wishes there was flexibility in starting time because they're mm. so obsessed with starting on time, which I get from broadcast purposes and you know all that but he said the weather forecast said had we waited half an hour we would have been free to race without that dumb carlos incident but because i was so upset we're starting at two which was in the middle of the storm we got like a, a shorter race we got mm. spinning we got pierre gasly almost you know hitting a tractor so it's just i wish they you know they looked at the weather forecast and said okay we can fit f3 between two clouds here F2 here, but before the thunderstorm, F1 after. I think that's something they should look into before thinking about cancelling, if they really can't mm. afford to cancel. But I don't know if they will. I think that's a, an interesting point because had they, I mean, all the camera crews had to sit there and wait and make stuff up for however long we're waiting for. It's the same every time we have a delay like this. It was the same in Spa. And I have friends who were at Spa that year. And for some reason, they're going back this year. So Hope they don't get a repeat. And it was the same in Canada 2011, which, to my opinion, is the best race of all time. But if they just waited or started a little bit earlier, they knew when the rain was going to come. We might not have had Button make that overtake on Vettel in the last lap, but there wouldn't have been a three-hour delay in the middle of the race. Sophia, do you want to do you want to come in on this? Yeah, I mean, because even look at like Monaco, how the delay is going. And obviously they did stop the time twice within mm. the two-hour window as well. But looking at the schedule as well. There's no time because we're doing a triple header, then a double header, and then another double header. Like there is no time up until after the after Belgium, pretty much before we have that month long break in the summer. There's a little bit of time between Silverstone and Hungary, but again, like if they were to move it, would it even be possible to do it at that time because of logistics and licensing and everything for it? But yeah, I mean. Given I, I am quite involved in F2 and F3, like it's quite an interesting one to see. We we don't even have times, like times have been posted, but we've been told it could be changing and delayed given to what's happened with the scheduling. And uh, it's for them as well, it's because they want to race as much as possible. Like F3 only has seven rounds or eight rounds this entire mm-hmm. season. F2 has 14 rounds. So like, and it counts, like it goes down to almost the last race, some of these guys, especially because it's been so close this season with different winners and everything. But it's the FIA. We don't know, like <laughs> even they don't know. You can always count on them to be unpredictable and leave everything to the absolute last minute. So who knows, maybe, maybe just do a double race or throw in a sprint for an extra one for the weekend. One of the races like Spain or something like that, or Canada, just make up the points needed if they have to miss the have to. Oh, they have to miss the race due to the weather, but it's just been not a good weekend for most because IndyCar is doing the same issues as well with their rain. <laughs> yeah, you said the practice is washed out as well for the yeah. Indy 500. Yeah, the first two practices, I think one, one of them was delayed and I think one of them was just completely cancelled because it's not showing on TV anymore. They're just replaying some of the races. So the first day of IndyCar practice has been quite by really heavy thunderstorms and rain showers over there in Indianapolis. Yeah, so, but yeah, except bad weekend for motorsport. I mean, I think, 
Not that I don't think they would, but it, it's certainly possible that they could move a race like Imola because it's a permanent circuit. They don't have to put barriers up and take barriers down. It's ready for a race at any point of the year unless it's snowing in December, but it's it'd be July. So they could squeeze it in again. It's in Europe. You know, Barcelona to Belgium to Italy is not a far distance. Michael Schumacher used to do that distance between practice and qualifying on Saturdays for the fun of it because he could go to Maranello and do more testing laps. This was not that far. They could they could quite easily squeeze it in. And if it was cancelled this weekend, they have what ten weeks. There's more than enough time to move their freight to, to 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 a new location. So it's not impossible. But I think you're right. After that gap, then that's it. We just go down to what twenty two races for the season. I do think what's more likely is that I'm just looking at the weather report here. It is <laughs> yeah, raining on Friday, raining on Saturday, raining on Sunday, <laughs> and. Humidity. Sunny on Monday. <laughs> and so, sunny with thunderstorms on Monday. <laughs> sunny on Thursday. But what's what's going to be the killer is humidity. There is high humidity all weekend, which means that the water won't evaporate. It will hang in the air, which is exactly how it got flooded. Rowan, if if it is the case that, that the race doesn't go ahead, would you rather see it move to somewhere else, shoehorned in another part of the year? Or do you think that's 22 is enough as it is? I think the difficult thing, I mean, we had this with Spa, everyone said, you know, move it to Monday. The, the distance between Spa and Zandvoort is not far, but the, that's so uncharacteristic of an, you know, F1 is a well-oiled machine. They work perfectly, you know, how they transport all the freight and the sea freight and how everything's separated. And I think if if you do end up moving the race, or even if we have a few practices and the actual race can't happen, that impacts so many more things. It impacts the budget cap, it impacts how engines are used. These things will have knock-on effects and the teams will absolutely be taking, you know, charge and saying, oh, we need an extra engine. Oh, maybe the budget cap should be increased. And these kind of loopholes, I think it, it's not a good show for the FIA, but when do they ever have a good show? I think if you're going to reschedule it and you're going to slot it in, it would be best to do it where there's a gap that is good for the teams, mechanics, you know, everybody to not have to squeeze it in and, and really be pushed. We do have a summer break, but from now until then, it's it's busy, really busy. Mm. And I think it might be better just to cancel it and, and call it as it is. If you miss out on those points, they were never going to be there anyway, whether it's reduced points or, or anything. So I don't know. I think I think getting rid of it, if it's unsafe, is the best thing to do for yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I would sooner agree. I know they're mad about the show. And after the Miami... They're almost too much about the show. And there was a lot said this week about that. We won't get into that too much. But at a certain point, they need to remember who Formula One is for. It's it, it Obviously, growing fans is great, but it's for the hardcore fans, but it's also for the drivers and teams. And when it's to, for the drivers and teams, their safety is the most important thing. Trundling around behind a safety car for two laps for the show is worse. All that'll do is make a fun 10-minute clip on Drive to Survive in a year when we've all bloody forgotten about it, which is exactly what happened in Spa. And then we all have to remember it and get really angry at it again. So I would rather they just cancel it outright than send Max out behind a safety car to get his customary 15 points and run off further into the championship. But move on from the weather a little bit because more kind of Imola news impending is that Mercedes's big upgrade is expected this weekend, <laughs> if it happens. But George Russell has come out and said that uh, their, end, their, their upgrade will not, and I quote, change the world. But they are rumored to be updating 80% of the car for Emma Lamano. That's a Toto Wolf said there's no such thing as silver bullets. An 80% change sounds like as near enough to it as they could, could have found. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a reset, which can be either good 
like better than that because I don't think their current car is awful like the mm-hmm. you know it's not Mercedes standard of good obviously but it, they're still a top team so it could go either way hopefully it's gonna go you know in a positive direction but I, I understand George because I felt like they've been burned before and you don't want to you know appear cocky and be like this is it guys we're we're coming back especially because I felt like Mercedes are really you know they they felt like some sort of responsibility towards their fan like straight mm-hmm. after Bahrain they, they issued that like really like heartfelt statement like apologizing to the fan asking them to please like stay on this journey with us if you want so I I do believe that they want to play it safe they don't want to raise expectations they'd rather come in with low expectation and do an amazing get an amazing result than the other way around and I think it's a good strategy because don't make promises to Mercedes fans on me to get another Red Bull one too I think they've had enough so yeah I, I, th- I think Toto Wolff, to a certain extent, is certain, certainly learned to maybe underplay his team's abilities. Um, mm-hmm. I will still bring this back to the quote last year of Lewis Hamilton of my team don't make mistakes. They do. They did. It was a big one. It's been a year and a half. It's not fixed yet. <laughs> and I think the whole team has learned from that. I don't want to say arrogance. I think arrogance is wrong, but overconfidence. You know, they came into this new era of Formula One. They thought, oh, we have this, this brilliant idea. And everyone thought in testing last year, oh, crap, this is going to be more of the same. And it wasn't. And they didn't admit that it was wrong. They stuck with it. And it was a bit like McLaren switching from Honda to Renault and they're discovering the rest of their car was still crap. It's the same sort of thing. They got rid of the porpoising. The rest of the car is still not good. They thought that was the one and only issue. It's not. So, Sophia, with that with that in mind, side pods still at zero or are we going to see big fat Ferrari copies? Oh, maybe copies. I don't know. It, it's very hit or miss on what they want to go for. I mean... It's still early days with how development is. Again, we're only the second season of the new regulations and it's constantly changing as well. We also have to think about cost caps. We have to think of Mm. budgets as well because if there are wider, then that's a lot more materials than it is if it's slimmer. And what how does that affect, obviously, shipping for weights and everything as well? So I think that maybe just playing it, I hate to say playing by ear, but like just seeing a little bit more the development for the next couple of races and seeing what comes from there. But I mean... We, we know that a lot all the teams are going to have some upgrades. We try to see that in Alpine and Baku, but obviously that didn't really happen so much. Mm. And a few other teams are going to bring out some upgrades in Imla or like for the rest of this triple headers as well. But I've not been surprised. I've not been impressed by any of the upgrades I've seen so far this season. And I think it's going to remain the same <laughs> for the rest of the season. It's just basic upgrades, even though people are claiming tents off or whatever it's still not making as much of a difference as what we were kind of like been hyped up to believe and imagine. Mm. Well, you, you say that, but as you know, like mid midseason changes, even B-spec cars, although to be to the credit Mercedes, like we said, have done a lot to say, this is not a B-spec car. McLaren did the same and it definitely wasn't. But again, 80% change if it's to be believed. It sounds to me like the Red Bull RB5, Kate and Kate's dirty sister which was the name Seb gave his cars for anyone who's too young to remember that. But that B-Spec car turned that into a very nearly championship winning team and they introduced it at about this time of the year. It was in May. And again, I that, that wasn't, I don't, I don't think that was even an 80% change of the car. They changed the front nose, which is a drastic change. And they got on top of the double diffuser much quicker than everyone else did and they cop Ron in that sense. But I still think, you know, I think maybe... I don't know, Ro, what do you make of, of of what Mercedes may or may not be bringing to Imola or Monaco? I think with all the teams that have underperformed, you know, McLaren, Alpine, Mercedes, I don't think they expected to be anywhere near where they are. 
and to have to make such drastic changes that's got to have messed with the upgrade schedule that they already had for that car so mm. To bring an 80% change, you know, they will have definitely had to move mountains to do that and organise the budget cut differently to to bring this. And I think the team will be hoping and praying that this is a lot more than they're making it out to be. And, and you've got to play it down. But like you say, a silver bullet, this is what Mercedes are hoping are going to bring them back. And I wouldn't say I'm convinced. Like you mm. say, we've we've not seen any drastic upgrades this season. We've not seen B-spec cars or, you know, Aston Martin brought that last year. I think for Mercedes, it's a long game. It's refresh next year. I mean, we said this last year. Yeah. You refresh next year, you go again. I don't mm. think anything this season is going to drastically change and certainly not this early in the season. I think they need to carry out the plan that they've had, bring this new upgrade and, and move on from that and, and upwards. Mm. But to change something so drastically, it's clinging at straws. Well, and actually you bring up a good point there about obviously budget caps because they can't just go spending all of their money that the, the Daimler have ever earned on a Formula One car like they could a couple of years ago. And Mano, you know, obviously Red Bull are going to be hamstrung later in the season, allegedly. I don't think we'll notice it, but apparently it'll be there. But Aston Martin seem to be very cautious with their development so far they've brought next to nothing to the car so far and yet they're comfortably second well not comfortably anymore they're only six points clear but they are second in the championship with four podiums and it's very impressive and you'd have to imagine they have a b and c spec cars worth of development compared to the rest so is this maybe mercedes saying okay we messed up we know what direction we want to go in for next year we're going to spend all of our money and tokens on this upgrade right now get some luck out of it really fall apart in the second half of the season or maybe like the third quarter of the season and come back much stronger on a new platform next year? Or do they have something else in mind entirely? I think it would be a shame if they already give up in a way. Like if they treat this season as testing 2.0, it would be, you know, it would be disappointing. Like I want to I wanna see the team fight. And if they're not fighting for P1, we could have a, a lovely fight for B2, which ultimately, you know, that's what I like about F1. Like you've got people winning, but you also have a lot of teams who know they can't win, but they're still fighting for, you know, winning the midfield, winning the, the backfield. And so I want I want to see Mercedes challenge Aston Martin. I want to see Ferrari back in the fight. I want Alpine to wake up. And so I hope Mercedes won't give up. As for Aston Martin, I'm, I'm quite excited to see if what they've taken away from Red Bull and what Aston Martin has, because Aston Martin was so low in the championship last year mm. that they get more win tunnel time. Like a basically Aston Martin, they came out of nowhere in a way. And so they have all those those benefits in a way that came from being solo last year. And Red Bull having won and having got their penalty. I'm I'm hoping to see sort of it sort of like, you know, reduce. But the issue is right now Aston Martin, and I hate to say it, it's just Fernando. So mm. Lonzo needs to catch up to like, you know, get everything out of this car. Lonzo and Fernando have to fight for that B3 for it to really become a battle at San Martin against Red Bull because as amazing as Fernando Alonso is, he can't drive two cars. So if we want like a real... He'd give it a go if you asked him to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we want like an interesting battle, we need both cars to be at the top. And you know, Mercedes fighting them, Ferrari being, you know, on their back. That would be that would be nice. I'm I'm almost looking forward to Red Bull struggling a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. I think I mean I hate dominance almost more like the Red Bull dominance years, especially the Mercedes dominance years. But I fell out of Formula One for years when I was a kid because I was sick of seeing the red car at the front. 
I got back into it when Fernando Alonso in his gorgeous blue Renault came and ruined the party, which which was fantastic. But yeah, I I, I agree. I think you know if Mercedes maybe need to take a step back a little bit, it's like okay, we're not at the front, but we can be, and we could still get great results, and we could still you know if we maybe shift our mindset a little bit, second place could be a really good, exciting thing rather than oh we're first of the losers because we you know we're not good anymore, or you know oh something's underperforming, or the team's not good, or the car's a mistake, and. Everything just feels really negative about Mercedes at the moment, I think. And I th- whereas you look at Fernando Alonso, a double world champion, demand it like, keeps coming back to Formula One because he wants a championship. He's like, yep, yeah, I'm on the podium again. That's just great. I'm just the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. This is amazing. And it's infectious. You can feel it throughout the whole Aston team. They 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 seem to be the happiest team on the on on the grid. And I know we all have our you know questions or comments about the strolls but everything seems to be rosy in Aston Martin and they're certainly not going to win any championships this year although Fernando did say he could win a race this year Sophia do you think he could oh definitely I think it's definitely possible he's been quite consistent with the podium so I I think when when Aston does have some upgrades maybe so yeah, I might be back answering my previous comments about some of the upgrade changes but Aston Martin's been consistent I think they are very close to battling for P2 I, like I said, with Mercedes as well, it, it's going to be quite close, but I think it's definitely doable for Alonso. He's had a, almost a few chances occasionally with it, so it's just a matter of time. And I think now that we're going back to Europe, I think it's going to be more likely because he's at the tracks that he knows very true and well, winning multiple times for him and everything. So, yeah, no, he definitely will get one at least once this year, maybe even two, who knows? So uh, before we move on from Imola, I want I'm going to ask two predicting questions, right? The first one, Leading on for that is, where is Fernando Alonso going to win his one race this year? So, Rowan, I'll start with you. Where do you th- If you had a fiver right now, I'm going to give you a fiver to go and bet on it. Where is Fernando Alonso going to win his- a race this year? I mean, he's an ideal world, Barcelona. But <laughs> realistically, probably a track that is going to be difficult to overtake on. Maybe Hungary. Hungary feels like a, like he a did solid do- one. Very well in Hungary a couple of years ago, holding up Lewis Hamilton in in what was it, okay, Alpine. Manon, where's your fiver going on Fernando winning a race this year? I want to say Monza because there is a curse that whoever wins Monza GNF the next year, so that max out of the race. And then, you know, Alonso can take Sergio. It's not too hard. Like, Sergio's (laughs) never been amazing in Monza. So, Mm. yeah, that's my bet. Interesting. Sophia, you've had a minute to think. (laughs) I think Austria might be quite an interesting one as well. I was going to say Hungary, given how the defending like a lion and all that, which Alcon did, but Alonso did some really good battles with Lewis. But yeah, I think Austria could be a good shout as well. Mm. Well, I'm going to take the safe route because I can feel myself welling up the thoughts of it. I think he's going to win in, in Spain. I don't care that they've changed the back half of the track. It really hasn't changed how good overtaking is there. He is an absolute monster around that track and he always, always has been. If he starts P2 or P3 in Barcelona, Max doesn't have a hope in hell. Fernando will walk away with it. Other predictions then is, before we move on from him, like I said, the race is this weekend. Pole, top three, and wild card. Rowan? I think a one-two is inevitable. I don't even think that has to be questioned, you know, without reliability or an issue. I also Max, think... Fernando- Max one or Sergio one? Max one. Okay. <laughs> Sergio two. I would like Sergio to be one, but Max is strong around him. He's, he, he's shown that he's uncompromising style before... Checo's there to pick up those points behind him. I think Fernando also will bring that P3. I don't think it'll be as easy as it has been before, but I think he'll still outpace the others. And he's very good in sort of mixed conditions, wet running. And if we do have a little bit of that, I think his skill will shine around that track. Very good. And your wild card? One of the McLarens in the top 
<laughs> it's really depressing that they were on the podium last year and that's a completely valid wildcard choice for this year. Manon, what is your poll top three and wildcard for this weekend? I do think unless something crazy happens, Max will get ball and P1 just because last year he did the, the Grand Slam. Like he dominated every session. So I think he's got in the bag unless, you know, I mean, even when quality went badly for him, he still got P1. So mm. yeah, I think he's got this one. I I want to go a bit like you know I'm not, I'm gonna say one three not a one two okay just to shake things up like Sergio's gonna get P three and Alonso will get P two because like you said regular track he knows them best Checo's better on street circuit so maybe he will not be as confident I don't know I'm just making up scenarios to shake shake things up a tiny bit <laughs> and white card I think I I want to give it to Carlos. Carlos to do something really impressive just because he had really bad luck last year and it's the beginning of the Ferrari triple, triple header so I want them to impress okay Sophia I think Charles will get pole however he won't win I think Max will be P1 I say Alonso will be P2 and then I say Charles will be P3 Maybe have some a glimmer of hope for Ferrari because they definitely need it this season. My ball prediction, a rookie in the points. Aha, but which rookie in the points? A rookie in the points. Ooh, I let you away with the cop out for now. I am going to say, I'm going to say Charles on pole as well. I think it's it's not a street track, but it's still a tight and twisty track and that Ferrari is much better on that than it is in straight lines. I think he's going to hold on to the win. Because while there is one long straight in Imola, there is only one long straight in Imola. And Charles is a clever driver. He does know how he, like the rest of the track is perfectly set up to save the hell out of your battery to get all your top speed on on that one and only straight. So I'm going to say Charles Paul and the win. I am going to say, I'm going to say Sergio Perez second. I'm going to say George Russell third. And my wild card is that Max is going to DNF. Yeah, if you're not watching on Facebook at the moment, all of their jaws just dropped at my wild suggestion. And that would, of course, put Sergio comfortably ahead of the cha- in the championship if that would happen. So that is my wild card. We'll take a note of all of this and <laughs> I'll get Tiller to read these all out on Sunday and we'll see how wrong we all were. Moving on then, because there is at least a little bit of news, although this is more sort of, I mean, it's, you know, Tuesday the 16th of May as we record this. It's getting to silly season. And... It's getting to silly season for a lot of things, not just drivers, but also tracks and team principles. So let's start with tracks because that's a fun one. We love talking about tracks. According to the Motorsport Association of Malaysia, so we'll see how biased or not they are, the Malaysian Grand Prix return is only a matter of time. Mano, you're, you you were a bit sceptical about this one we were chatting before we started recording. What do you think? Well, I am sceptical because... It's Malaysia saying it. I think it's wishful thinking, obviously. Everyone wants to be back. I, I like that track, so it would be great. But at the same time, I know the French, my people, are also in discussion to potentially bring the French Grand Prix back. They're going to have discussion in Monaco. And then you've got the New York street circuit that's being discussed, the London street circuit. So I feel everyone wants to come back. And it's sort of like that continuous game of musical chairs with tracks. Because even if we get to 30 Grand Prix a year, it's it's just 30. Like, not everyone will have a spot. So There's I mean, 52 weeks that, in the air. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad that they're all, you know, in the mix. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's wishful thinking. Until mm. 
separate from the FIA or from F1 itself. It's just, I'm glad they're trying to come back, but I don't know if we can really believe it. Well, I agree. I would love Malaysia to come back, but apparently, you know, the, the, it, it went off the calendar. What was it, 2017, wasn't it? It's a long time since we've had Malaysia, which is really depressing because I adore that track. It's one of the best tracks to drive in the game, which is obviously my only actual reference point of it, but it always, always threw up a great race. 2009, 2012, with Checo nearly beating Alonso. That'd be a fun story to revisit. So Malaysia has, is, is, a, is a classic track. And apparently part of their interest now is obviously just the, 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 the growing popularity of Formula One, the drive to survive. There's there's more Formula One shows coming down the line, I believe. There's a movie coming out. Brad Pitt's going to be driving a car in Silverstone. So Formula One is as big as it's ever been. I think they want more of that to come back to Asia, which I totally get. It makes total, total sense, especially, I mean, what do we have? Japan this year, we have Singapore. That's about it, isn't it? That's the only Asian races this year because China was cancelled. So I think Formula One has tailed off Asia quite drastically. Sophia, if you could pick a track to bring back, not Malaysia or Paul Ricard, one track to bring back, maybe to replace Imola, if it gets cancelled, what would it be? Macau? Really? In a big Formula One car? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it might be interesting. Oh, God. Maybe really on the spot. Oh, Germany. Hockenheim or Nürburgring? Hockenheim, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think mean, that's probably. But I mean, with the with the races as well, why don't they do like a core eleven that's always mm. on every year, and then rotate out eleven other ones? Yeah. It they, makes sense. They they should do, and that that's that's I think been talked about a lot. The core eleven sort of being, I suppose, the European races with or without Monaco. Well, I've I've heard a core eleven and then a non championship Monaco. Wild idea. I don't think anyone would bother showing up, but the one person who did would win the Monaco Grand Prix and be able to say they won the Monaco Grand Prix. Rowan, what would your dream track to bring back to Formula One or to bring into Formula One for the first time ever be? I mean, my initial thought was Portimao. I do have a secret little love for that circuit. Me too. Germany's a really good one as well. And I do quite like China. But I think if you had to choose, I think I would put Portugal back on the back on the calendar. Yeah, I like Portimao. It is coming back into the F123 game this year, which I'm really excited about because I loved driving around that. It's a really it's a fun track. It's a tough track. The flowing corners are excellent. And it was a good race. Kimi Raikkonen going from 15th to 6th on lap one in an Alfa Romeo. That was incredible. It's a good race. Manon, what was your, your dream track to bring back, B? Dream is a big word, but I would yeah. bring the French the French Grand Prix back. Because, ah, but, but which one? I mean, poor, I know Paul Ricard is not always the most exciting race, but it's, it's sort of that era that I knew, so I would bring it back and... I know it's really close to Monaco, but I guess I could alternate. Mm. Like every every two years, it's either like French or the Monégasque. Well, my, my choice would actually be Mangi Cor. Mm. I I always I always loved that track. I always loved watching it. I don't know how well it'll work on modern cars, but if you watch like videos back of Schumacher Barrichello going through those court, like the the, the small agile mid two thousands cars go through that. It's a brilliant circuit for at least that era of Formula One, but. I mean, like they brought Zambort back and the cars definitely don't fit there. So there's no, I don't think there's any reason why Maggie Cork would be brought back. That'd be my dream track to bring back. Other silly-ish season news. We'll do team principles first because Fred Vesser says he's very happy in Ferrari and there's a lot more to come, which sounds very Ferrari-y of him. They've broken him already. But his the, the person who replaced Mattia Bonato is apparently rumoured to be replacing or to be on the cards to replace Otmar Zafnauer at Alpi. Now, I'm sure we all saw the reports of Laurent Rossi absolutely losing the rag 
in what three or four interviews last weekend, which I think that's another discussion in itself. Sophia, what 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 do you think? Is Matia Bonato going to replace Otmar Zafner? I mean, I've heard I've seen articles that say that he shut it down straight away, but then I've also seen that there's still discussions. I think it's just silly season all over again. And like, I mean, with the changes in Ferrari losing members and everything and going to different teams, obviously as well, we have Avatari's team principal leaving at the end of the season. There's also another kind of seat, technically, say seat, position open now as well. I don't know. It's it's silly season. Like I, it's just so difficult because given how much rumors and everything was last season, even just like a few other articles that we'll probably talk about, like other rumors about drivers and positions, like you just don't know. Cause even credited sources are recording this and putting it on social media. So like, you don't know. The only time you'll ever know is from the F1 website, but even then they're always late to the game to kind of announce it sometimes as well. Like, and not even informing other teams of the implications of the announcement. So uh, it's very difficult to see. I don't think he would ever take Alpine. I think mm. it was Ferrari or nothing for him. It Like, that's it. I, I, I agree. And I'll add to that is like, I don't think anyone would take Alpine. I think Alpine's become a fairly poisoned chalice. I don't think it ever really wasn't. Renault, since they came back in 2016, have constantly promised the world and wildly under-delivered. But the one thing I do, to a certain extent, believe is that Otmar Zafnauer might be replaced. I'll, you know... I've said many times on this podcast your favorite the last person. two years that he is my, yeah, let's say favorite person. I, I, he's, he's, he's the common denominator in the teams that have gone from good to really not good over the past few years. And that's kind of where my kind of inkling of belief comes into this because he said, he said that, let me see it here. Ross, Zafnar says Rossi's comments don't put more pressure. He said almost word for word the exact same thing a few years ago when Aston Martin were coming knocking at the door. That that didn't work out well for him, did it? So, Rowan, if you were Matteo Bonato, would you want to go to Alpine? No, honestly. But I, I do think Matteo Bonato has got a, a rough ride in terms of where is he going to go if he wants to stay. I mean, he's he's got the top job. The only place you can go is down from there, really. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch Alpine with a ten foot pole. I think the difficulty of is it is sort of state funded and, and things like that. And it's got a lot of pressure in that team to perform, especially being a, a you know a factory team. And with the downturn that they've had, I, I would not touch that team. I think no matter what, you can't live up to the expectations, even if the car's you know performing well. I just don't think it would be enough. Yeah, I agree. And man, I'll, I'll finish this one on you. Obviously, it's it's the French team and Rossi's comments. I think they they I think they've possibly done more harm than good. I mean, this isn't happy if not had yeah. the best start to the season, but a lot of it has actually not been at least the team's fault. The drivers smashing into each other in Australia was the drivers' fault, and it was bad luck more than anything that they hit each other. I mean. Um, but they had, they had mess ups last year as well with the whole Oscar Piastri fiasco, and there was no such blow ups from Laurent Rossi then. I think something there's something weird in the way this team is not necessarily run, but like you can sort of like sense that behind the scene it's not as polished and nice as the other team make it out to be. Like mm. just everything that came out, like the way Fernando Alonso left, the way at the end of the season last year, all those articles on versus. Alonso made it making it sound like they just had no respect for one another 
and the Oscar fiasco of Alpine not being able to secure a driver and have a contract put in place and then had the audacity to actually take it to court mm. because they thought they were right. Like there was a lot of, do you guess why you're not hiring professionals before you like, you know, come out publicly as, as clowns once again. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of weird things happening. And I think Laura Rossi coming out and just sort of like destroying everyone. It's not just going after one driver, it's going after both drivers after his team principal he's going after everyone mm, maybe he, sh- he could take a bit of responsibilities because yes the guys you know destroyed each other in melbourne after what was a great race for them but mm. then Piescar could fire in was it fp1 no fp3 in Baku. oh no it wasn't fp1, FP1 it yeah was so it's like it's sometimes it's the drivers sometimes it's the car like there's equal blame and i think they could all like hold hands and be like mm. okay we're having some struggles but we're all gonna help each other out. But instead, he's he's putting blame at everyone because and because everyone's to blame in a way. And mm. I think it's a shame because you can see Ferrari and Mercedes being like, you know, like carefully optimistic. You know, we're still a team. We still believe in each other. The press is hounding Charles, being like, "Are you going to Mercedes? Are you leaving?" And Charles is like, "No. Like Ferrari is my is my house. Like I'm sticking with them. And whether it's mm. true or not, this is what he's telling the media. So I think Laura Rossi is like. Like, don't do that. You stop, stop the turnaround, stop firing people, stop losing mm. people. Like, yeah, the, it's not a good look. It's still well, I think, a good look. I think if I was one of the maybe mechanics or people in Enzone or Viri in the, the, the engine department, I'd be looking at Aston Martin, who are hiring the best part of a billion more people over the next few years. And go, lads, mm-hmm. I want out. This lad's a lunatic. I'm sick of being blamed. Renault engines have always blown up. It's not my fault. Um, and, and get out soon while they can. And obviously Audi are going to be coming in soon and they're, they're coming in to take over Sauber late this year, early next year. And their big project for a couple of years until they can start working on the car will be the infrastructure. They're going to hire a lot of people to, to, to like Sauber is a very small operation, always has been. They're going to hire a lot of people to improve everything, probably to design new Intel at some point as well. So like, it's not like Alpine is the only place in the world that you could get a job for Formula One if you already have one. There's going to be a lot of opportunity. Cadillac might also be coming in with Andretti soon. And, you know, the, the, so I think Laurent Rossi, I think if Renault's board are clever, he'll be the first one to go, not not anyone else. Although, you know, I still don't like Otmar Zaffner. You mentioned there Charles Leclerc, and it's interesting because I wanted to touch on him as well while we're talking about silly season because Damon Hill said only a couple of hours ago, the article went up, that he thinks Leclerc is a bit stuck at Ferrari. And I know, you, as you said there, you know, Leclerc is a Ferrari man through and through, just like Mattia Bonato was. But at the same time, he probably is a little bit stuck there because Red Bull, now Aston, Mercedes, they're all pretty happy and content with their drivers, at least until Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso die of old age at this point is when they'll stop driving. Sophia, do you think do you think Hill's comments are fair that Leclerc is just stuck in Ferrari? I mean, 100%. Same as, well, like Lionel Norris, he has long-term, like these drivers have such long deals now as well. So it's making them difficult to move to other teams or bring in new talent. I think, yeah, I think he's stuck. I mean, he's just not had the best seasons recently. Like even when Ferrari was having a decent car last season, it still made it kind of a bit worse. But I mean... It's difficult to say because Carlos Sainz has been doing all right as well. So, like, if you compare to both of them, it's not just him being kind of stuck. It's also Carlos Sainz also being stuck Mm. in the position. But, like you said, where are they going to go? Because Max has a long-term deal. Obviously, Perez's contract ends this year. Lando has his contract. George and Lewis both have contracts for next year, I think, off the top of my head. Like, 
the only way to leave Ferrari is to go down and he's not going to do that for his career when he's still like at a young age, young age-ish in the teams. But also these new rookie drivers and young development drivers are coming through as well, potentially for those seats. So he's going to try to stick to a seat as long as possible for sure, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And you're right. He is only 25, which is mad. I feel like he's been around forever, even though he started much later in his in age than I think it was like 19 when he debuted in, in, in Alpha back in the day. He's been around for I feel like a long time, but Rowan, if 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 you were Charles Leclerc, how how would you be feeling? I think I think Sophia makes a really good point there about these insanely long contracts, and is that maybe part of it that it's gone a little bit too football-y where everyone signs their entire existence away for one team and they get stuck there if it's not going well? Yeah, I mean, even the past few years have shown that a contract is not always watertight, but I think for Charles, he's he's whole him out for as long as he can that that Ferrari team is going to give him exactly what he needs but things like that you know they have to fall into place and everything has to work well you have to have a number two teammate everything has to just come together and I think he is only young and to stay with the team much longer than he has been is it is a gamble whether he's got a long-term contract or not you know when he signed that long-term contract Ferrari was looking good he was a young driver he was on the up and for someone like Max to sign such a long contract when the team is doing so well, it makes sense. But, you know, for drivers like Esteban Ocon's got a very long contract, I think it is a bit not odd because I think a lot of these drivers know the market and to hold on to a seat at all and have that contract in place is good. Like I say, they're not watertight, but I think it, it brings difficulty because even if you wanted to get out of that contract, like if, if Charles does want to move, where does he go that's better than what he's already got mm. you know you, or even you look at someone like Daniel Ricciardo who has you know struggled to find seats and the options are limited they, they really are limited and and you close the door with Ferrari and it might not open again we've seen a couple of drivers return you know Fernando's been to Renault quite a few times but it doesn't necessarily mean that if he moves anything will be different it could be worse mm. yeah I, I agree and that that kind of brings us to I suppose the most likely changes because obviously a lot of the drivers do have long-term contracts but <laughs> some of them and Rowan I think you, you make a perfect point there they're not watertight I mean Nick DeVries does have a contract for this season but some of them have been debunked but I mean there is still every chance and I've actually said this for a couple of weeks now on the podcast that he's going to get dropped mid-season I predicted that a few weeks ago obviously nothing's confirmed yet although knowing my luck because this will happen again it will be announced tomorrow that Nick DeVries, that has happened to me three times that I said nothing's announced yet. And then before we put the podcast up the next day, it gets bloody announced. He's the maybe most likely to go if Danny comes in or not is another thing. But we heard that, you know, Williams are a potential big one for the silly season with Logan Sargent potentially on the way out, not maybe impressing as much as they thought he might, especially compared to Alex Albon. That car is actually a lot quicker than it might seem to be. And, Mick Schumacher potentially being Toto Wolfed back into that team. Manon, what do you what do you make of those early silly season rumors? You know what? I'm gonna ask a candid question. Isn't it too early to judge the rookies so harshly? Because they're they're rookies ultimately. And you sort of, you know, and especially like when we we're talking about how it's been mainly street tracks. So hmm. is it really a reflection of and okay, the Logan thing. In a way, I get it because the Williams seat has always been sort of, a, you know, a Mercedes nursing ground. So it's like we we don't want to waste our time. So we want to like, you know, put people in that seat. But for Nick, I'm like, I don't think AlphaTauri has got a good car this year. I don't think they're they're going anywhere. So it, it's not like they're it's not like Red Bull who are fighting for wins. 
with a great driver and the number two is not following up, they need to swap. Like there's a reason they're fighting for point, they're fighting for constructor like places. But AlphaTauri is, you know, you can almost sort of like strike this year off. So just let Nick do a four year and then reassess. Otherwise, why sign him in the first place? Why did you snub all your junior drivers for this white card if you don't give him the time to actually make anything of it? So I think it's a bit, it would be a shame for him to get dropped mid-season because I think, and with the team principal retiring as well, it's like, just mm. let this season end and start a new chapter afterwards if if you want to. But I think it would be just unnecessarily cruel. I, I agree. But equally, Formula One has never not been cruel. Poor Alex Albon could, is a, 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 can attest to that very well. But I mean, Nick is... 20th in a 20 driver season. It's not that bad. Nick, uh, Nikita Mazepin a couple of years ago was, wasn't he 21st in a 20 driver yeah. season? Because Nico Hulkenberg came in and outscored him, which was hilarious. But I agree. I agree about Logan Sargent. You know, he is an absolute rookie. He's just come in. Car's not great, but he is massively underperforming compared to Alex Albon. I say massively, he's only got one point, but Albon is on the cusp of the points week in, week out. And But Nick, there's kind of been this air that Williams was like, ooh, ooh, buzzword, buzzword. He did really well because he got really lucky in Monza. So we'll have him because, ooh, buzzwords. But, Sophia, what, what, do, you, what do you think? Do you think maybe they jumped too soon on Nick? Or is Manon right that dumping him mid-season would be too harsh? I think it definitely is too harsh. I think given that he has top accolades compared to the other rookies in other disciplines as well, I think that's something that should not be overlooked. But it's just been... He's made some rookie mistakes, but again, if you look at how Yuki was when he when he first started off as well, comparing tit for tat, I think is I think Nick is kind of doing a little bit better than Yuki a little bit. Obviously, points is a different story, but like he's not done any major crashes, any major damage compared to what Yuki's done and what Yuki still is doing as well for the team. But Logan Sargent as well, I think he came in way too early. He did not have the best season in F2. He barely raced in F3 as well. And also, given that the tracks that we raced at so far in F1, he's raced in Bahrain multiple times. He's raced in Saudi once as well. He's raced in Azerbaijan as well. Like, he's had time in F2 cars before to at these tracks. So you would expect him to do a little bit better than what he actually did compared to Nick, who most of these tracks he never raced in because F2 mm. and F3 didn't even have them at the time when he was racing. So I I I think Nick, I understand Nick being lower than Logan. I think Logan should have been a little bit higher. And then obviously if you look at Oscar Piastri, yes, he's been out of the game a bit as well. So obviously some of the tracks he's not been really used to as well, but still it still was a bit kind of, I think it's a little bit too harsh. And then, yeah, but like people coming up, like obviously these young drivers are doing so well, but then as I said, some of them are jumping the gun way too early. Mm. Sergeant is is case in point for that right now. We said that about Nikita Masman, even though I believe he should never have had a seat to begin with. Joe Guanyu when he first came up, because obviously he didn't win, but he was, I think he finished fourth, similar to Logan Sargent in F2, mm. his season before. So it's, it's very difficult, but I, I think... Getting rid of him mid-season is unfair. I think wait till the end of the season and see. I do agree, though, for Logan to go by the end of the season. I think that's probably... I think they were just doing like how you were, buzzwords. An American, going yeah. to America, doing Las Vegas for the first time and all that. I think it would be more interesting if he was in the house than at Williams. But I can see Logan going out. And obviously, Piaget is going to stay, given all the money and headache that he's caused. But I hope Nick can stay. I wouldn't know really who else to kind of replace, but 
I mean, it's just silly season all over again as well. And it's just too many rookies as well. Yeah, but you say that, but there's still a wealth of talent in Formula 2, Rowan. I have the, the, the F2 standings in front of me right now. And obviously, Porsche is top dog again. And for me, him not being in Formula 1 is one of the biggest crimes of the past few years. The fact that Sergeant Mazepin, even Joe, and Joe's doing quite well. Joe's impressed me since he's come into Formula 1, but I still didn't think he deserved a seat over Porsche. And we've lost the likes of Calamila to IndyCar and... Oscar Piastri had to sit in the wing. But you look at, you've got Porsche, Vesti, Iwasa in particular, is a Red Bull junior. Dennis Hauger's doing well. Arthur Leclerc's finally found, finding his feet. As always, a wealth of talent in the junior categories. And do you think Formula One, now that the teams are liquid, they don't really need pay drivers as much anymore, should start looking at who was actually the best person in Formula Two last Yeah, I mean, I think the points about, you know, drivers being brought in too soon. And I think F1's... They're dancing on that line. You, know, you don't want to bring someone like Piastri Porcher in too soon, but then you almost run the risk of leaving it too late then. I mean, we've seen people like Schwartzman, great driver, great left on the sideline for too long, and, and or even Lawson, you know, and, and it almost gets to the point where they were once this amazing talent, and then a year, two years go by. I mean, this is Porcher's third season, and people are like, well, winner in his third season. Do you know what I mean? I think they're dancing on the wrong side of the line of... of bringing people too soon and not bringing them late enough. Mm. I think Sargent does display that. You know, he had two seasons in F3, you know, very similar to Piastri and Pocher in the pace, but then was brought in after only one F2 season. But, I mean, the expectation was there for him to hit the ground running. He had so much testing in that car. You'd think he would be a little bit further along than he is. And we've had tracks that he's been to before. We've had ones that he hasn't. But now, we've, like you say, we're into the European sector. I'd... I think the results need to start coming. He needs to start matching Albon or he will be looking at a different outcome next year that's not a seat in that Williams. Nick is a difficult one because he said, you know, he said he doesn't want to be classified as a rookie. But if you're then comparing him to other people, it looks worse for him. Mm. And I think Nick's future doesn't lie with the Alphatari team. I think that is up to Red Bull themselves. And I think the only logical option was for, for bringing him into that team, I think the only reason that that happened was because they were looking at a replacement for for Perez in the future, seeing if someone not from the family can fit into that number two role. You know, he's good friends with Max, double Dutchies, but I think already it's shown that he's not that guy. And I, I rate Sonoda highly. I think that car's a lot faster than it's been shown to be. He's been so consistent, you know, few P11s, two P10s, that car, is, <laughs> that car is there. It really mm. is there. And Nick's to be sat 20th when these P10-11s are coming in, it's not a good show. And to be making silly mistakes, and that's fine for a rookie. Rookie mistakes happen in a brand new car with you know something he's never driven before. But if you want to be held to the standard of you know multiple champion in different FIA series, you need to expect more from that. You really do. I completely agree, and and you mentioned like multiple other series, especially like Sargent is not a Formula Two champion. Guan Yu Zhou is not the Formula Two champion. Nikita Mazepin wasn't. Yuki Tsunoda wasn't. Jack Aiken, Nicholas Latifi, Alex Albon, Lando Norris, Sergei Sorotkin. All of these are Formula Two graduates to Formula One, and not a single one of them won the championship. Nick did, and then he went and won FE as well, which is both arguably much more competitive championships than Formula One because they're spec cars. 
So that's actually more impressive. But then, you know, he's coming to Formula One. I think you're right. I think that Alpha Tauri is a bit quicker than people give it credit for. I don't think it's as good as it's been in pre- previous years. But Yuki Sonoda's banging on the door of the points absolutely every single week. You have to imagine he'll he'll pick up a few more over the next few weeks of tracks that are much harder to overtake at. If he could just nudge himself up to ninth or tenth, he'll stay there where he's been knocked down from there over the past few races. I think that's impressive. I take your point, Sophia. You know, Nick Yuki had his <laughs> erratic start to Formula One and was given his chance, and look where he is now. Guan Yu Zhou, none of us expected all that much from. I particularly didn't, and you know, he's outperforming Valtteri Bottas this year, who's phoning in it a bit this year. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think we'll. Maybe drop it at that because nothing's confirmed just yet. This is all just the tease of silly season. And this is what happens when we don't have a race to talk about the weekend before. Was there any other final bits of news any of you wanted to touch on before we before we say goodnight? We can talk about the new qualifying format, if that's still going to happen, hopefully. We, <laughs> can the in- we can indeed. Do you want to, to, to give us the, the lowdown on that, assuming that it happens? Yeah, so Pirelli's doing their first round. I think they're doing three, two other times of testing this new qualifying format, which is potentially going to be the standard for 2024 season, which is in Q1, they only have hard tires. In Q2, it's only medium tires. And then Q3 is only soft tires. The drivers will have 11 sets of tires instead of 13. So four four hard, four medium, and three soft. They're also potentially meant to be testing the wet tires as well, the new improved wet tires for the season as well. So that one will probably be of good use (laughs) given how the rain is. I think it's the C3, C4, and C5 compounds that they've come out for as well. So pretty much the softest of them all of the Pirelli tires. So it's an interesting one, the, the format for the qualifying. It makes it more equal, I think, as well, potentially. Mm. Uh, all being on the same tire spec but i don't know how it's going to pan out to an actual race though with used tires and scrub softs and all that i I have some thoughts on but man i kind of want to hear your thoughts on this same tires for everyone in every session idea well i mean uh, aren't they all on soft at all time anyway so they're they're, like it's not really going to change the fact that they're all on the same i'm really excited about the idea of them having to do quality on hard like that's something I want to see, mm. and then on like I I'm I'm excited to look at the the timings to compare everything. Like the same car, the same track, almost the same condition. Obviously, the track will get quicker during the session. But it's from a stats perspective, I'm looking forward to it. I think I I get why the drivers are annoyed by the idea because it's you know it's for the show of it but mm. it just gives them a bit more to think about and an extra, an extra headache. But for us as, yeah, as fans, it's going to be exciting to, to look at, oh, what can the hearts do? Where are the limitation? Who, who is suddenly setting crazier times on a mm. compound that you weren't expecting? Just like in Miami, we weren't expecting the hearts to be tired. So just, you know, it's a new opportunity for us to test things through them. So I, I think, I think it's a nice idea, like, Three times a year is a nice idea. I don't know if it's mm. a good thing to, to implement like full time. But when I heard the idea the first time, I thought, oh, that's that's fun. I, I personally come down pretty hard on the opposite side. I don't like it at all. I, I, I think it's just another attempt to gimmick. And the reason being, the top 10 cars could all go out on hards absolutely every single weekend. It won't make any difference whatsoever in Q1. It just won't. They'd all go out on hards if they could because the bottom five will go out on softs and still be nowhere near them. There's that. There's still that much of a gap. 
It was more dramatic before they made the, the, the car changes a couple of years ago, but it's still there. Max Verstappen could do Q3 on hards and probably still qualify second to Perez on mediums. So I, I, I like the idea of maybe enforcing a certain amount of tires. I think the best idea I've heard come out that should be implemented is you have to use all three tire compounds in a race. I think that's interesting. That brings back proper thought out strategy of do you start on soft? Do you have to use soft? It's only going to last you two laps at some point. Do you use them to get a jump off the start or do you use them at the very end to nick fast slap? I think that would add something really interesting. But all 20 cars on hards, they're just going to be skating around. But the Red Bull with the most downforce will still get the most out of the tires and heat them up and still be fastest. The Williams and the Haas and the Alfa Romeo have no downforce whatsoever, can't fire up their hards, especially for one lap and we'll still finish last. And then everyone else will be in between. I think we might get the odd kind of surprise where if a Mercedes, for example, can't fire up its hards, which it can't, then, you know, George and Lewis might struggle. But if that happens three times in the year, everyone, especially the British press, are going to get pretty pissed off at that and they'll drop it instantly. Rowan, where do you come down? We, 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 we're very differing in opinion on this one. So wh- where, do you, where do you come down on this one? I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, we, we had a teaser of this in Baku with the sprint, you know, the mediums. And I quite like that. It felt a bit F2, F3-esque, you know. They can warm the tyres up and do a good few laps. It felt good to see multiple laps being put in rather than, you know, in Q3 you go once, you go twice. But I think hards is a step too far. They're never going to get them fired up, like you say. And I also think it's it's a waste of tyres, it's a waste of rubber and on a carbon footprint that doesn't look good. You can't in more tyres round when they're not needed. I also think with, with Imola specifically, the weather is going to make this difficult, whether it was going to rain or not. You know, the temperatures aren't there to get this. The surface is, is not suitable for something like this. And if you get a wet qualifying, then this entire idea is straight out the window. I think if you're going to mess around with qualifying like this, it needs to be medium and no further. But with this year, with the with these new Pirelli tyres, we've seen a, a difference in... The difference between hard, medium and soft is not as big as it once was. Mm-hmm. So they're expecting these dramatic results is going to change things, but it's not. Because I can bet you that Verstappen's pace on hard and medium and soft is not going to be too drastically different. I mean... Like you say, he's not going to need to push that hard in Q1 to get through. Nobody is. The people that are in the bottom will still be in the bottom. And you're right. They might they might on hards get five laps in where before they'd get two. But it'd be five laps to do the exact same time. Yeah. It's not going to make all that much difference, I don't think. One, one thing, like back in the day, maybe there's a version of this where the top 10 go out on mediums rather than softs. And they have to start the race on those tires. Back in the days, like when we had, you know, race qualifying or race fuel. You had to go out to qualify on your race field. And there was a massive strategy element of that. If There might be a tire version of that we could do. Sophia, what, what do you think? We'll, we'll finish up on this one now in a sec, but you brought this one in. We'll end with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm just also thinking as well, what happens if it rains in the middle of qualifying? How, what's the tire strategy for that as well? Now, that could be fun if they're all got made to go out on hards if it rains. <laughs> you know, do a lot of noise. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> go back to Russia. Land- oh, Lando would be on call. He has great experience of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because that obviously will mess up the tire strategy as well and like the testing for it. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if, say, Q1, it's fine, and then Q2 starts raining, and then it dries up for Q3. Like, do they have to do then meet hard, wet, medium, or hard, 
wet softs like what would be the procedure for that and then how does that also play into some of these races with the tire strategies i agree though with the, the three different compounds because that goes more into pitch strategies as well it's difficult for some of the tracks though because some of them are quite short so then having to do a through like a two-stop pitch strategy it, it on a historical one track pit stop i think is would be a little bit tricky for some of the races but to test and see but Hopefully we'll see. I mean, we'll probably won't get any news until probably Friday morning, knowing the FIA about what's going to happen. They're going to wait till the very, 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 very last minute, i.e. Monaco. Like they did did last time. Yeah, and the qualifying format of last week and everything. So who knows? Yeah, well, here's hoping that for my own luck, this isn't announced about 20 minutes before we upload this episode tomorrow, which it will be. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's something new. I have no problem with them trying new things. I just... I hope this doesn't this one doesn't stick or at the very least I hope I'm proved a little bit wrong on it but I think that will do it for today. Thank you all for your help. We've we've got a, a pretty decent episode out of no news this weekend. So I'm very impressed by us. Thank you very very much. I have been Sean. Thank you very very much to Sophia. Thank you. Thank you to Rowan. Cheers. Thank you to Madam. Thank you guys. We have been Everything F1. Don't forget to check out all of our socials at JoinEF1. We're on all socials. Check out our website, everythingf1.com. And of course, check out our sponsors, our fantastic sponsors, theraceworks.com. Use code EF1 at checkout for 10% off site-wide. They're a brilliant company and we really, really thank them for all of their support as always. We will be back on Sunday with James to do a review of the Imola Grand Prix and this interesting qualifying format and maybe with some more news about jumpings and early city season but until then thank you very very much for listening and enjoy the oh hang on i'll get it right formula one qatar airlines grand premio del made in italy e del emilia romagna grand prix i apologize to our italian listeners bye now